like to welcome you back to the Behar Behukotai RPM. So I've done the introduction already, uh, and now I'm just going to go through some of the gleanings that I've uh, come across for this Parsha. Uh, we did Rashi's uh, commentary on uh, Parsha Nitzavim about Hashem returning us to our captivity because we find within this double parasha to end our account of Vayikra that Hashem lets us know you will not go into exile unless you disobey me. If you want to dwell securely in the land, keep the keep the Shabbat. First of all, I think that's like the like if we don't do anything, keep the Shabbat. Let the land have its Shabbat every seven years. And then have the Jubilee every 50 years. And everything will be good. You'll securely dwell in the land. You just worry about the Shabbat. Which I think is very, very generous and kind of Hashem just to let us know. Like, hey, redemption is different from exile. And it all depends on what you do with the Shabbat. And what's so amazing to me is that for at least 2,000 years... There has been no redemption, and what's been done with the Shabbat, uh, it's been neglected, it's been downsized, it's been persecuted, it's been put out. Nobody wants to keep Shabbat. Well, Bezrat Hashem, somebody wants to keep Shabbat. I mean, I know I do. I don't know about you. I'm going to just say I'm going to speak for myself, but I think it's amazing that, you know, the primary... Uh, speakers and the platform of people who claim to believe in Hashem, they don't want the Shabbat. And furthermore, how crazy is it that when we do dwell in the land, that we need to make sure the land has a Shabbat. Like that's how serious Shabbat is. Like we're talking a whole year, no activity being done in the in the land no cultivating no planting no harvesting and no reaping for a year so if you think about your primary job being agricultural being a farmer you know whatever you want to do with the land okay so for a year stop it <laughs> that is absolutely just mind-boggling to me that's one of the primary ways to remain secure not only in the land but also in your faith is your refraining from work so i mean if you really just think about what that it really does to a person that you're realizing okay i need to refrain from work because hashem who is the creator of the universe told me to do so I'm going to go out on a limb if Hashem tells you to do something that seems so ridiculous, like, you know, you don't work for a year. I mean, uh, if he commanded you to do that, I mean, it's explicit Peshat, like, no, let's look in the old Torah, da, 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 da. Like, no, just straight written Torah. Like, I'm pretty sure Hashem has something behind that. You know, it's the same thing that we think about if Hashem says, remember the Shabbat, keep it holy, 
you know, guard the Shabbat. Don't do any laborious work. Okay, one day out of the week, don't do anything. Just don't. Just stop. Namely, he stopped on Shabbat. You realize the whole reason that we got to stay in the garden when we should have been kicked out was because of the Shabbat. Like the Shabbat is super deep, super powerful. And again, we're testifying, we're become witnesses that Hashem is the creator of the universe when we refrain from working on the Shabbat. So everyone who wants to say, well, sorry, I got to go in for training. Sorry, I need to go in and get some extra hours for work. And uh, this is a part of the process for me to be hired. Da, 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 whatever that is. Basically, Hashem is being told, you're not the creator of the universe. We got stuff to do. I don't know how you think that you can just create in six days and stop and think that I'm supposed to follow that same pattern. I will not be an imitator of you, Hashem. That's basically what happens when we say we don't want to we don't want to observe Shabbat. So, and furthermore, if you think about what happens on Shabbat, there's quite a bit of information with that. But first, I want to start here. I'm uh, I'm going to be preparing myself because, again, I talked about uh, the Sefer of Bamibar, Numbers, that that whole entire book of Torah, I mean, it's just, it's unleashed. It's probably like one of my most favorite things to comment on. You know, and, you know, it's just going to kind of be overwhelming to kind of figure out what to do because, you know, the RPM series has been uh, so fun because we're really just, at least in my own understanding, just really understanding our role in bringing Mashiach and that we need to be vocal about it and we need to live intentional about it. You know, not predicting Mashiach, but praying for Mashiach, you know, and that in our actions and in our speech and even in our thoughts, making that the forefront and foremost of what we do. And so the redemption, please Mashiach has been just, you know, that, but you know, for Bami Bar, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like it's just, it's just like, um, fiery animals. Okay. Not lighting animals on fire. So don't, don't take it that way, please. I, I love animals and I don't like them to be on fire. But if you could think of animals in the form of fire, just unleashed from the proverbial stables, like that's what Bobby Barry is to me, where it's just like, oh my gosh. So shouts out to the incredible Talmud and to Cola because their par shot is Bobby Bar. And I know Cola, our Shomer version of Storm, by the way, she is super excited about her tour portion. She was so ready for her tour portion that she was ready to start dropping bombs on it just this past Shabbat. And I'm like, we still got a week. Just hold your horses. <laughs> but anyway, so Shlita to both of them that uh, may they have long and good blessed lives. Amen. So anyway, so they, I mean, that's how we're kicking it off. And then, you know, who's got Parashot? Who's got a tour portion in uh, the Sephira Bami Bar? You know, holler, shouts out to y'all. I mean, it's incredible tour portions in there. So anyway, going to what I wanted to start with, I want to start here with the first reading because Daily Wisdom today just kicked me upside the head real quick and then was like, all right, that's day one. 
and got six more days coming at you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So here it is. It's from uh, Vayikra 25.4. So we start Parsha Behar in Vayikra 25. And then we're going to comment on the first verse from the, or the fourth verse from the Daily Wisdom. And it says, Uva Shana Hashviit Shabbat Shabbaton Yiye Laaretz. Ve Ziviti et Birkati Lakem Bashana Hashishit. Okay, so that translates to what does it translate to? Okay, in the seventh year, the land must be given a complete rest. Shabbat Shabbaton, a Shabbat of Shabbats. There are 52 Shabbats in a year, just from the regular Shabbat. And then you have all the extra Shabbats that we have for the Yom Tov. You know, like the first and last day of festivals and, and things like that. Uh, and the, the the single day of Yom Tovs themselves and things like that. And so the land is going to take all of its Shabbats at one time. It's going to be Shabbat, 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 Shabbat for the whole entire year. All 12 months. And so it's just like, okay. Well, at least 30 days of peace for each month. And uh, it's all Shabbat for the land. So Shabbat Shabbaton is a complete rest. And again, remember, if you turn Shabbat backwards, or take the Tav and put the the, end, the, the last letter, put the last first, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Shabbat becomes Teshuv when you do that. And so, Teshuvah on Teshuvah basically is the Shabbat Shabbaton for the land. So, the land itself is connected to the will of Hashem because Eretz is Aleph Ratz, like Ratzom, so Resh Zadi. And when you look at the Aleph's Ratzon, you're looking at the, the Hashem's will is what the earth is and you know we were taken from the earth as well and to earth we will return uh and so kind of looking at this whole concept of the will of hashem is basically what we're brought forth from and what we are returned to and as we walk upon the earth we have to remember that one day we will be beneath the earth and so if we think that we're better than the earth the earth needs to take a shabbat but yet we won't take a Shabbat. And then to think about the fact that, oh, the earth needs to take a Shabbat. Well, I'm not going to let the earth take a Shabbat. I mean, this kind of gets really, really intense because it's basically just nullifying the existence of a sovereign ruler. You know, you wonder why there's godlessness in the world because there's not a veneration of the Shabbat. Like, when was the last time Shabbat was primarily spoken from any platform of any sort to uh, a popular wide range of people? So, you know, it's just kind of like, is, is anyone really getting up on a weekly basis to, you know, speak to, and I, I know uh, this is happening at synagogues, 
Bezrat Hashem. Because apparently, sometimes synagogues are struggling. But, you know, we all are. So, but just saying, like, for as many believers that exist in the world, is everyone really on the same page about the level of Shabbat? That it is something binding that we need to keep? But anyway, I want to go ahead and just drop this insight because I'm still just in Selah mode. I just don't know what to say. Just Hashem is letting us know from the get-go about redemption in the Shabbat and that Teshuva is a part of Shabbat. Not only do we need it, but the earth needs it as well. And particularly the land of Israel. If you want to be outside the land of Israel, um, there is no Shabbat for the land. So that's kind of interesting. And to kind of think about that on another level, that the dust of the earth that we were taken from was brought to Israel. So if you think about us being formed from the dust of the earth and dust was taken from the four corners of the earth, you know, like this whole idea of everyone coming to Jerusalem from the four corners of the earth, Hashem gathering in all the exiles. I mean, it's the same way that mankind was created. So to think that, you know, nations are not supposed to come to Torah, that, you know, we're not all supposed to go up to the mountain of Hashem. That's kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, I know how you made us Hashem, but that doesn't mean we have to follow that pattern. Anyway, I could, I mean, I don't know. Just, just the concept of this whole way Behar starts out is just, it's mind boggling. Okay, but I'm going to try to focus and pretend like it's not. Even though it is, even though I can't pretend, <laughs> but I'm going to try. Okay, so it says that if it were God would have promised to increase the yield of the year following the fallow year, not the year preceding it. So Hashem is like, I'm commanding my blessing in the sixth year. Notice he's not saying, okay, so the sixth year, the seventh year is the Shabbat year for the land. It's called Shemitah. Hashem says, I'm going to command my blessing in the sixth year. We just learned that in our verse here. I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year. And notice it says Ziviti, which comes from the word Zav, which is the root of mitzvah. So the mitzvah, so the blessing that Hashem speaks has a commandment to uphold. When you think about a blessing fulfilling a commandment, I mean, okay. So Hashem is like, all right, blessing, listen, I need you to do something. And blessing is like, yes, sir, what you got? I need you to bring about a, uh, I need you to bring about a, a robust burst from the land in the sixth year. Okay, cool. We can make that happen. Now, if you think about the, the logic of this, okay, just zoom out for a second. You've been hard, you've been working, 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 working six years. You would think by the sixth year, it's like, oh my gosh, we're scraping the bottom of the proverbial barrel. Shem's like, no, that's actually going to be the biggest year. So let's go ahead and make that happen. I'm going to pay you for the sixth year, the seventh year and eighth year, because 
The eighth year is really the first year of the next cycle of seven. And you're going to still be eating off your sixth year harvest as you're going back into reworking the land. So if you think about that, like, okay, so why not just pay us when we start back working again? You know, go ahead, land. They're just now getting back to work. So let's make the first year a big year. It's like, well, we're really not even going to know about that because you're still going to be eating from two years ago. So that's really what this is getting into. So it says by promising an increased yield in the sixth year, which should naturally be the least productive. God shows us that it is specifically and exclusively his blessing that is the source of the increased yield. Not to mention, remember that blessing that was fulfilling that commandment? That blessing is specifically Hashem's because it says, Et birchati. So the Aleph Tav blessing that belongs to Hashem. So now, Vezot Habaraka, and this is the blessing, which is the final parasha. And if we're looking at, okay, so what is the blessing? The blessing belongs to Hashem, and it is what causes the natural to be overridden to bring about what Hashem has commanded it to bring about. So what am I saying? So mankind is sentenced and subject to death, and one day death will be swallowed up in victory. But Hashem was like, all right, I'm going to give all mankind a blessing, namely Mashiach, and he's going to come and his death is going to bring about the inauguration of no death. You know, death is what wound us and through death we will be healed. So you think about just the the concept again of just Hashem's blessing is beyond the natural. So I'm talking about a divine Mashiach. I'm talking about the word of God becoming flesh, you know. And so anyway, that that's totally a thing. And then it says the lesson for us as follows. As Jews, we are required to spend time every day praying, studying the Torah. Okay, praying and studying the Torah. We must give Zadaka. We must support Jewish education and abstain from work on the Shabbat and Jewish holidays. How can we hope to live financially sound lives when our non-Jewish neighbors who are not quote-unquote handicapped by any of these obligations and restrictions struggle to earn their livelihood? So how can we hope to live financial and sound lives when our non-Jewish neighbors who don't have any of this, when they struggle to earn their livelihood, says the Shabbatical year, teaches us the Shemitah. What does the Shemitah teach us? That when we do what Hashem desires, He will bless us, not only spiritually, but materially as well. Lakute Siko, Volume 2, page 548 through 549. I just love that thought because, again, we need to dive in. We need to study Torah. We need to give Zadaka. We need to support Jewish education. Side note, you know, for what we are doing at Lapid, you know, with the Aliyah Day and with um, the Musar class, 
with the weekly classes that are happening on Wednesday nights uh, for the conversion classes and with any other uh, endeavors that we're doing at Sar Shalom to further Jewish education, uh, we should be able to give Zadaka to that, you know. So just to put that in our minds that, you know, we can give forth extra funds for that, you know, as we're looking at how can we fund Jewish education? Well, there just, just happened to be a Sar Shalom synagogue in Saginaw, Sar Shalom Tulsa, and a bunch of Lapid houses. And so we can give to all these places and further Lapid, you know, got to have money to do things, you know. And so if Hashem is wanting us to give Zadaka to that, you know, let's make it happen. So in case anyone was wondering about, you know, okay, giving a Jewish education comes up quite a bit as you're studying. And it's just kind of like, okay, we need to support tour scholars. We need to support uh, teachers and uh, any other endeavors of advancing Judaism. So, so where can we support? Well, we can start asking uh, Sar Shalom some things like, hey, what can we give to and, and go ahead and do that. Now, obviously, the mikvah is the biggest project on the on the map right now. And uh, with it con almost being completed, you know, we do have a kosher mikvah, literally spring fed, living water fed, uh, the highest level of kosher possible. So, you know, giving to that obviously is epic because not only would that be supporting education, that is the education that like makes the way the groundwork for it, because it's hard to teach Jews if you don't have Jews. And the mikvah brings forth Jews. So there's just thinking some things on that. What I want to do right now is I actually want to go to the Keher Tumash real quick on Parsha Behar. Give me a second to pull this up because thinking about this commanded blessing in the sixth year, I just want to do some uh, redemption talk because why not? Right. Okay. So command my blessing for you in the sixth year. All right. So in the Hasidic insights, it says allegorically the six years during which work is permitted are compared to the six millennia of the world's present state of existence. The seventh year corresponds to the seventh millennium when the world will rest from its present state. Thus, we are now in the latter part of the sixth millennium, i.e. towards the end of the sixth year. In this context, the same question posed in the preceding verse applies. Aware of how the divine consciousness and spiritual strength of the latter generations cannot compare to that of early ones boy ain't that the truth we were just talking about this on shabbat because we're realizing okay we're talking akivas we're talking zacharias we're talking rabbi shimeon bar yokai's we're talking kephas we're talking uh yaakov's we're talking uh zerubbabel's and we're talking haggai's i mean our sages i mean if you really just kind of and, and even like rachel akish you know and rabbi mayor Uncle Os, OG Uncle Os. I mean, come on. Like, thinking about 
individuals like that, I mean, goodness, these are our sages. And to think we humble ourselves to their teachings, which the only way they give forth their teaching is through the spirit of Mashiach, which is called prophecy, by the way. Prophecy is the spirit of Mashiach. Just throwing that out there. Uh, so that if you would be like, you know what? I don't want to listen to the sages. I'm not with that oral tour stuff. What you're basically saying is that you, on a lower rung of the generations, we we think we're so advanced. But, I mean, we're talking about the sages who can quote passages of Torah and Talmud without Google or Safari. I mean, it's just, you know, to think that you're better than that. I mean, you talk about the word written on your heart. I mean, they got extra stuff in there, you know? So just throwing all that out there that, uh, you know, we just need to rethink how we think sometimes because, if you if we have problems with the sages, I mean, we just need to remember a few things about them, you know, just do a little study on who the actual sages are that are in the Talmud. Nicodemus is one of them, by the way. He's in the Talmud. It's Nakdimon. So, yeah, so that guy and Rabban Gamliel. I mean, kind of a big deal. You know, so I'm pretty sure I'll go with what they say before I listen to like a Rashi or a Rambam or Yosef Caro. I mean, not taking anything away from those gentlemen, but I'm just saying we're talking levels over here of ridiculousness because they're in the Talmud. All these other individuals that I just mentioned are commentators on that, which is worthy you know, but again, we're in the latter generation and it's like, how can we expect to be compared to the earlier ones? You know, so we're on the bottom of the rung here. If you think about it in the, in the realm of generations, as far as that goes, even, even the first generation of the desert, if you read in the Midrash says about the generation of the desert, those who actually died in the wilderness, those actually are people of great faith. And the crazy part is how can they be people of great faith when they were like, Hashem, did you bring us out here to die? Hashem, were there not enough graves in Egypt? And oh no, we can't go into the land. There's giants in there. Like, those are all their failures, which, by the way, are the same things we fail at. Because, you know, again, I brought up the Shabbat earlier, so I'm going to keep bringing it up. That uh, if we expect not to keep the Shabbat because, oh, I don't know if things are going to work out and I need to get over here and do this and all this kind of stuff, then we're saying the same things that these individuals who perished in the wilderness said. Because it's like, no, Hashem, I got to do this. You know, there's no way you can provide for me. Because that's what we're really saying. Hashem, there's no way you can really provide for me. So I must work on the Shabbat. I must do things on the Shabbat that are ant and uh, antagonistic to your Torah. So, yeah. Going on with this analogy, just bringing up that that was considered to be a great generation. And that's what their failures looked like. 
And again, I mean, the Midrash goes into this. I didn't bring it with me to the recording. So kind of sad that I'm talking about this and I don't have that in front of me. But but if I find it and then I get the chance to record it, I will call it the generation of the wilderness and just put that up there so we can have it. But anyway, um, going on about that, these are individuals who were a part of Egypt and they saw all the plagues. They survived all the plagues. They put blood on the doorposts and they went out of Egypt and they went through the sea and they went through the wilderness to Mount Sinai and they survived Mount Sinai. Again, one of the six remembrances of the daily commandments that we're supposed to remember. And by remembering these, we're fulfilling commandments, which is just interesting to me that one of the ways you can fulfill a mitzvah is to remember something, <laughs> namely six different things. It's like, okay, throw it at me. What you got? You know, but one of them is remembering that we stood at Mount Sinai. And again, just Parsha Yitro, Shabbat's coming up, so we're going to be talking about that more. I mean, it's ridiculous. If you if you went to Sinai and experienced what you experienced at Sinai, there's no way you would be in, like, I don't even know how you could function. Just, just saying, like, people uh, dying and resurrecting because they heard Hashem's voice speaking. Which, by the way, what did that sound like? Because it was one voice of many voices that was coming from all four directions. And then, you know, it had this fragrant aroma that issued forth with every utterance. And then you got the fact that Hashem sent dew as well. So there's this uh, this wonderful fragrance and this mist going on. It looks like a garden, basically. And then there are flames of fire dancing on the mountain and throughout the camps. And then you have loud shofar blasts that is just like a tequila gedola, like forever. And then you have lightning and then you have thunder. Okay. Lightning and thunder. Okay. That already freaks me out. If it's too much, you know, sometimes that thunder that just booms and you're just like, did something just get hit? You know, the house shake, the ground shake kind of thing. Like, you know, uh, back in the hood days, uh, we talked about having 12s and 24s in the trunk, you know, and it sounded like I got King Kong in my trunk because I'm driving through with my music booming that loud. It's like, dude, do you are you hiding a giant gorilla in the back of your car? <laughs> like, OK, so that what we thought was booming, like, OK, that's nothing compared to what was happening at Mount Sinai. So I'm just saying, you know, and uh, we're all immortal at that point. But which is crazy to me, because, again, we died and were resurrected, but we were considered to be immortal. So just think about that for a second with how can, quote unquote, God die, i.e. the Mashiach, his body being put on a stake and then he died and then he came back. OK, well, he's immortal, by the way. And so we were and yet we died and came back. So we were literally living like Mashiach, like living in his essence. But anyway, just to think about that connection for a second is just insane. So anyway, um, there's a way apparently to die and resurrect that doesn't affect your immortality is kind of the blue screen moment that I just had that I just decided I'd share with you. But yeah, just running a full gamut of everything. So 
These are the generations that have gone before us. And what have we experienced in our lives? Guarantee you, we didn't experience anything like what they experienced in the desert. Side note, not to mention what was happening every day. Giant rock rolling around, following us, setting itself up in the camp of the the Mishkan, and then bursting forth rivers of living waters throughout all the camps. And then you had manna that came down every morning. And then you had this uh, these clouds that surrounded us and that cleaned our clothes. Clothes didn't wear out. Shoes didn't wear out. And I'm I'm just saying, like, that that's what they were in. And that's what they walked through. So, obviously, greater faith is apparent in those who... Uh, who believe yet have not seen. But again, what what knowledge level were they at? You know, the ability to to comprehend and fathom Hashem versus what we have now. We're having to use all these different uh, tools and aids. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have smartphones. Which, that's one of the things I'm trying to help myself prepare for. Because with the final redemption, we're supposed to go through like a wilderness test. And also, we need to know that when Hashem comes to gather us in, like we've been talking about from the four corners of the earth, that we don't need to be worried about our technological devices. Technology is uh, a filler, if you will, for really what we will have. We're going to have something beyond technology in the Olam Haba. And so, just to be able to realize, okay, so I think my, my smartphone's cool, I think Facebook's cool, you know, even though there's a lot of drama on there and a lot of Lashon Hurrah, but you know, it's cool. YouTube and all that kind of stuff, all these apps and all the social media. And it's like, that's nothing compared to what we have in Hashem. So just getting, getting ready to transition off of this is just going to be mind boggling. You know, that we think that we need all these devices and Wi-Fi and all that. But when Hashem comes to get us, and brings us up in the clouds. I mean, cars, phones, houses, and all that kind of stuff. Just, he really wants us to leave it behind. And just know that he got us. He's got us. So anyway, I keep going on about that because I love Olam Haba stuff. And I don't really know a lot about it. But those are a few things to just kind of be aware of. That we need to be remembering Lot's wife that when it's time for us to go and when we're gathered in and Hashem is bringing us home to say, Hey, do not look back. Don't be like, Oh no, I forgot my blah, 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 blah. It's like, Nope, just get, just go. You know, we left Egypt with barely baked bread and we got, we got provisions on the way. We had all these, all this jewelry and stuff from the Egyptian. It's like, what's a bunch of, wanderers in the wilderness going to do with all this jewelry you know like i'm blamed out walking through the desert oh yeah that's what's up well little did we know we're actually going to use it to cast crowns before hashem by building the mishkan but yeah anyway going on it says so the world's present state of existence is like that sixth year hashem commands his blessing in this context the same question posed in the preceding verse applies 
So how can it be that the sixth year, the weakest one, will provide for the seventh? How can our feeble attempts at divine service usher in the final redemption when that of our holy ancestors did not? To to this, God replies that in the merit of our simple faith expressed in our dedication to our divine mission, despite all the obstacles and beyond the constraints of logic, he, say he, he will increase the yield of the sixth year and bring us the redemption. Notice it says what our job is and what Hashem's job is. What's our job? Simple faith. Don't try to get all crazy with it and running off the top of the wall and drop kicking people in the face. I'm talking about, I got this halacha, I got this minhag, I got all this stuff. No, we need to have simple faith. Walk, okay, with Hashem humbly and everything's going to line up that's our job now that we do need to study and all that so as you learn things remember don't be upset about learning something that you feel like you should have known Hashem is going to have you learn as you need to learn if there's something you don't know yet Hashem will bring it to your attention and our job is once it's brought to our attention to follow through with it And again, follow your leadership. If you don't want to follow your leadership, then that's you saying that you think you can do a better job than your leadership. That's also you saying that you'd rather not be a part of this community. Because if you can't subject yourself to your leadership, if you can't humble yourself to stay within the context and confines of your community, then you're setting yourself up for a lot of issues because you do create drama when that happens. You're like, I got to talk to somebody about this because this just ain't right. And really, the person you should be talking to is your leadership. You know, contact Keturah and get an audience with who you need to get an audience with, you know. So don't ever feel yourself as above your leadership because that's a sign that you're removing yourself from the community. Hashem has our leadership and they will tell us what they need to tell us when they need to tell us. We need to study and we need to do what we can. And again, what you do at your home, you know, that's really where the main crux of your observance is. What you do at the shul is a reflection of what you do at home. And so to think about the implications of that, you know, There are probably things that, you know, all individuals who attend, you know, Sar Shalom's or the Lapid houses, you know, there are probably things that we do at home that are probably on a higher level or a lower level than what we do at the shul. But when we come together as a community, we have to, we have to fall in sync with one another. And as we grow, everything will get worked out because as all of us are learning and growing, That's a very, very uh, synergized process that adds to the maturity of the flock. And so we have to let these things work themselves out and and know and expect that you're in a constant state of growth. You're in a constant state of development. 
And that's why we continue to do the same Torah portions, the same Yom Tov. Every year we get, we are supposed to get better and better and better, learn more and more and more. And if that's what you're doing, and if you're submitted to the cycle, you'll be amazed at what Hashem will do. The reason we get to have one mikvah that's really two mikvahs, one for men, one for women, but they're sharing the same um, source of water, and it's on top of a spring, and it's not too far from the shul, and, you know... It's it's in a house. You know, we built into a house. And, uh, you know, the fact that that house was able to be purchased and all that kind of stuff and the location of everything. We didn't get all that because we like, okay, we got to have a kosher mikvah. We got to have a, uh, we got to have a spring and we got to have this particular house and we got to do this. It was like, no, we just had simple faith in Hashem. Hashem is like, all right, it's mikvah time. So here's how this is going to work. You know, learn all the different things that you can about the mikvah and then watch me work. That's how we got everything. And there's no way everything would fall out the way it has fallen out with all the different developments and uh, announcements that corresponded to Torah portions and Shabbat drashes and table sparks. None of these things would have fell out in their direct time had we forced everything to be done like we think it should have been as opposed to having simple faith the reason why we've been so mind blown and so shocked about everything and just Hashem what are you doing because that's what it looks like when you have simple faith that's how we got to be because with our simple faith Hashem is going to work within that and bring about this ridiculous increase of everything. So I pray that we all do that and operate in simple faith so we can see the power of Hashem do so much with so little. You know, it's really the the story, I believe it was Elijah who came to the widow's house and it was just like, well, we only have enough oil to make one more cake, and then my son and I are going to eat it, and we're going to die. So I don't know why Hashem sent you to us. And shouldn't you be prophesying to Israel? Like, why are you way out here and in this territory talking to us? And he's like, you know what? You need to give me that first, and then, uh, you know, we'll have as much as we need to have for as long as we need to have. And so it was just like, I'm going to take a little bit, and I'm going to give you a lot. The the one of the other one examples of that, obviously the two fish and the five loaves, a little bit of stuff that we gave to Hashem and he worked it out for a lot. That's what our simple faith brings about. The conduit is humility, which is, again, this week of the Omer that we're counting, we're going through all the stages of humility. And so if we really grab a hold of this, you know, we're really setting ourselves up for lots of beautiful things. So, we got um, Parsha Gitavo, read that. Let's go into the seven counts. All right, so uh, I was reading Zuska Saul, who is the 13 Petals guy. Uh, that's a website, 13petals.com. And is it.com? Let me see. So, Zuska Saul Slita. May he have a good long life. Amen. 
Let's see here. What's your site, homeboy? Yeah, 13pedals.org. There it is. So, yeah, so I was just kind of reading some things from him. And apparently it's just kind of like, you know, he can get into different tangents and things like that. But one of the cool things he does, he does a lot with numerology, the gematrias, uh, and just some different symbolics things because he was talking about the sevens and I was just like, okay, now you speak in my language over here, but you know, just all things considered, he, he, get, he gets into some really good things. So just for, for what that's worth, just throwing that out there that, you know, that is another, uh, site you can glean from, but just, just realize there are tangents and sometimes and things like that. But, you know, our primary learning should come from books anyway. So Again, I, I call these gleanings. So based off of what I was reading, I was like, you know what? I can work with some sevens. Let me, let me, let me see what you're talking about. And then let me go over here and look at this other stuff with seven. So here's, here's what I got. So he was talking about the seven counts that you have, you have the seventh day, which is the Shabbat. You have the seventh year, which is the Shemitah. And then after seven cycles of seven, that 50th year is the Yovel. And the Yovel, the Jubilee year, shouts out to Havenger Yovel, by the way. So, haven't seen you in a long time, but hope you're doing well. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so the whole seven times seven aspect. And I was like, oh, this reminds me of Mati Yahoo 1822. So, here's where I went after kind of going through some of his insights. Uh, it says this, it says that Yeshua said to him, not up to seven times, but I tell you 70 times seven. Some translation also say 77. Okay. 77 times seven. So here's the thing on that. First of all, this is connected to bear sheet four twenty four, where it says if Cain is to be avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Remember the whole punishment that uh, Chayin had to endure because he killed Abel. And then if anybody killed Chayin for seven generations, there's going to be some issues. But then Lamech, you know, is just kind of like, okay, so Lamech is also going to be a part of that because if anybody takes him out, it's like 77 times worse. So just a little drop on that passage from Bereshit. If Cain is to be avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And the interlinear on Matityahu 18.22, it says 77 times seven. Or Sika, 70 times seven. So you have 70 times seven is broken out as 70 as a big, the big units. Cause remember we count, uh, like by 10. So we go 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. So if we want to say like 13, it'd be like 10 and three. If we want to say like, uh, 37, it'd be like 30 and seven, which would basically mean you can do 30 times seven or something like that. Or as we're looking here, 70 times seven, it could be 70 with seven, or it could be 70 times seven. 
And 70 with 7 can actually be 77. Okay, so just to kind of like a unit of 7, a unit of 70 plus 7. Okay, because you got 7 tens and then you have this extra 7 that you connect to it. So literally it's it could be 77. So you can say from this verse, Yeshua says not up to seven times, but up to 77. So multiply that thing by 77, basically. So that's kind of where some of the understanding of is it 70 times seven or is it 77 times seven? It's just like, yes, because here's the thing. We have the Shimone Esrei, which if you really think about that, Shimone 8, Esrei 10, and that's 18. And again, if we're looking at what we're talking about here, 10 times 8, that's 80. So if you look at the 80, 80 is the gematria of Pei, which is mouth. And what we do with the Shimone Esrei is we use our mouth to bless Hashem. So I'm getting my Jewish wisdom of the numbers. Do some things with 80 real quick. Surpassing all expectations, overpowering... 70 and 80, 7 and 8. Okay, let's do that one. That sounds more along the lines of what we're talking about. Okay. The psalmist associates 70 and 80 in the context of the age of man. The years, or the days of our years are 70 years, or if through Givora, which is power, judgment, 80 years. The natural span of human life is set at 70 years. Consequently, one whose age extends beyond 70 up to 80, the next number in the series of tens, is given special strength and vigor by Hashem. It means that man's existence transcends the ordinary allotted lifespan. In this aspect, he has the fortitude to overpower the confines of nature with strength to stretch beyond. The development from 70 to 80 mirrors the conceptual transition from 7 to 8, namely extending the fullness of the natural realm, which is 7, to that which goes beyond the confines of nature, which is 8. So, as we're looking at the Shemoni Esrei, we're getting into the realm of 8. And we're going uh, into the these, uh, this aspect of 80 in a kind of a deeper sense when we look at the, the fact that there's 10 and 8, you know, which is Shimone Esrei, you know, the 18 blessings. But it can really be the 80. And there's this understanding of being empowered by Hashem and what the Tehillim and Tehillim 51, do I have that here? Yes, I do. Rukashim says that when we are reciting the Shemane Esrei, that we're, we're allowing the Shekinah to actually speak through us, 
which is why we say uh, Adonai Seftai Tivta Kufiya Gitehilateka that is Tehillim 51.17. Come on and get you some. Yep, Adonai Sabtai Tiftak Ufiyagiti Lateka. That is Tehillim 51.17. Some Barakot 4b. Prayer is a ladder that allows us to draw progressively closer to Hashem. The Amidah is its highest point. Do we not just read about vigor? And strengthened by Hashem with the 80. Because that's in the context of the 10 and 8. The Shemona Yesrei. And it says this. It says the stages of prayer that precede the Amidah. Are designed to arouse powerful feelings of love and awe for Hashem. However. They are merely preparations. For the ultimate unity with Hashem. Achieved during the Shemona Yesrei. You're in the ultimate unity. Achieved with Hashem. When you do the Shimon yesterday. Slika. And go figure. That the one who has the ultimate unity with the Shem. When we asked him. How do we pray? He gave us a version of the Shimon Yisrei. He's like I want you to pray at your highest point. How about this? Avinu Sheba Shemaim. Yikadeh Shimka. Tabo Malkuteka Yaseh Retzel Neka. Ba'aretz. Okay. So. Our father. Who dwells in Shemaim. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in Shemaim. So, and all they give us this day, you know, continuing on, that prayer, if you really put that next to the Shemona Esrei, you're looking at a modified, condensed version, if you will, as we say, Kitzer, a Kitzer version of the Shemona Esrei. Highest point of prayer, that's what we're talking about, and it says... We are absorbed within God himself. At that point, we lose any sense of self-awareness because we are wholly consumed by the immediacy of his presence. In this state of total submission, in this state of total submission to Hashem, unaware of ourselves and our needs, we cannot express our personal desires. We therefore preface the Amidah with a request. God, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise. At that point in prayer, in our prayer, God speaks through us. Our mouths are simply channels for God's praise. Just want to point that out. That That's Barakot 4B into some Baal Shem Tov and Rabbi Dov Bear of Lubavitch. Tehillim 5117. Um, I do not have that. Oh, I do have it tabbed. Now I got a tab. Got a tab, something like that. So anyway, that's what we're looking at with the, the context of 80 and the 18 and Shemona Esrei, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. All right, so... Back to our 70 times 7. If you do 70 times 7, you get the gematria of 490, which is actually the word tamim. Tamim is what we call unblemished. 
and it's first used of Noach, then it's first, and then it's next use of Abraham, then it's next use is of the Pesach lamb, and then after that it's used for all the offerings. So we got Noach, who's a Mashiach ben Yosef, Abraham, who's like Mashiach ben David, and there's a discussion brought down uh, via Rashi and uh, Sanhedrin 108 that talks about comparing who's more righteous. But before I get into that, I just want to say that there's a drosh by Ish Pela Shlita that's called Tav Water. And the 70 times 7 is connected to that because the whole thing about if you really want to be blemish free before Hashem, then you need to have a perpetual tamim, you know, forgiveness to those who offend you. So your perfection is actually going to come in the context of you being offended and you forgiving. You being a walking body of reconciliation. And that's where your tamim is going to come from. And he, we lovingly refer to his drosh as tav water. And uh, because tamim is tav mayim, that's how you spell it. So tav mem yod mem, tamim. In the Tanakh, Tamim is used 91 times. And the Gematria of 91 is Amen and also Malach. As in the Malach Hashem, the Malach Panav, the Angel of Hashem, the Angel of His Presence. Yeah, Tamim. And then when we say Amen, which is, may it be so, you know, or El Melech Neiman, God, the Faithful King. That also equals Amen, because the first letter of each of that uh, that phrase, El Melech Mun, Aleph Mem Nun. Okay, so when we're looking at the Tamim here, talking about the two Mashiachs and the Pesach Lamb and the other offerings. So, say La, I guess, on all of that, because that's quite the uh, the stack up there. It says, so Noach was called righteous in his generations. Some of our rabbis, this is Rashi. Some of our rabbis explain it, which is this word, uh, to his credit. He was Bedorotav, righteous in his generation. It follows that he lived a, in a generation of righteous, that if he lived in a generation of righteous people, he would have been even more righteous owing to the force of good example. Others, however, explain it to his discredit. In comparison with his own generation, he was accounted righteous. But had he lived in the generation of, I don't know, Abraham, he would have been accounted as of no importance, no importance. So cross-reference Sanhedrin 108a. And again, this is Rashi commenting on Bereshit 6.9. Sukkah 52b brings down that Rav Huna Bar Bizna said that Rabbi Shimeon Hasida said they are Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef, Eliyahu and the righteous Cohen who will serve in the Messianic era. Talking about some temple service going on. 
Sukkah 52a brings down, once the Mashiach ben David saw Mashiach ben Yosef who was killed, he says, Ta'akadosh Baruchu, Master of the Universe, I ask of you only life that I will not suffer the same faith. So, Mashiach ben David was given the ability to resurrect Mashiach ben Yosef. And in the letters, we learned that it's the spirit of God that was exerted in the body of Mashiach to raise him from the dead. So, yeah, to connect some dots real quick, the spirit of God is the Mashiach. So Mashiach was able to be torn down willingly and raised up. So, yeah, Hashem empowered that to happen. <clears throat> but we're looking at literally the agent uh, resurrecting himself. So tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Like Mashiach said that, right? Obviously, the only reason he said that is because Hashem said that. So his words and Hashem's words are exactly the same. They are no different. So if we want to talk about the Torah of the Messiah and the Torah of Moses, they're the exact same. Same Torah. What's the law of God and what's the law of Messiah? It's the same law. So you got to have both Mashiachs, by the way. So you had to have Noach and you had to have Abraham, just like you have to have Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Because without that, it's like taking away a set of tablets. If you take away the broken tablets and just have the second set of stone tablets, you have an incomplete redemption. The broken tablets is what removed the snakes and the scorpions, by the way, from the wilderness. So think about that for a second. If you take away the golden tablets or the uh, sapphire tablets, Sika, then uh, you're left with snakes and scorpions, which will kill you. The snakes and scorpions that were in the desert, I mean, Legend of the Jews brings down that if a bird flew over the shadow of one of these serpents, that they would fall out of the sky and die. Um, the Midrash Rabbah brings down the fearsome sight of some of these serpents that, I mean, they're the size of like these different cedar beams or oak beams of trees. I mean, it's just kind of like... Think about the movie Anaconda, even though I, I, re I don't recommend anybody watch that, but I got to watch that in my PT days, my pre-tour days. And yeah, they made that movie like, oh, this ridiculous snake is killing everybody. And it's like, yeah, that's what the snakes are like in the wilderness. That's a small picture of it. Those kinds of snakes. And then if you've seen the Scorpion King with the rock in there, uh, those are the size of the scorpions. Don't have a source for that, but I imagine if the snakes are that big, the scorpions have got to be quite the size. And again, this is what the broken tablets took out. So you need Mashiach ben Yosef because you got heavy stuff that needs to be taken down. So Matid Yahu 20 verses 25 to 28. But Yeshua called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the nations lord it over them. So when when there's this comparison, okay, well, who's greater? Is it really Noah? Is really Azotic? And is is he on the same level or greater than Abraham? Or is Abraham greater than Noah? And it's like, 
They're both equal, okay? And if you really want to do a comparison, we don't do those kind of things because if you want to lord yourself over somebody, that's what nations do, which again, back to people who look down on you for your observance. If someone thinks that they're a better Jew than you are, they're acting like a goy. So that's self-incrimination, and that's something we don't want. And again, I went through a whole disturbing uh, episode, pun intended, because uh, the last podcast I did called Behar Bekukotai RPM. Uh, yeah, that was kind of disturbing, talking about the menstrual rags of the Nida, the woman in Nida. And if we want to brag about our mitzvah keeping, it's like a, a woman bragging about her, you know, um, menstrual garments because you know and in, in uh, Yeshiyahu's writings it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags so he's talking about menstrual uh, stuff so I know none of us want any of that but just saying if you ever feel like bragging about your mitzvah keeping think about that for a second that should probably make you throw up <laughs> If you're sane <laughs> and uh, probably cause a little bit of humility to enter in and be like, you know what? What was I saying to you? Oh, blessed be the name of Hashem for you. May Hashem make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, brother. May, you know, Hashem make you like Sarah, Rivka, Raquel and Leah, sister. You know, like you ain't going to talk bad about nobody at that point. You're going to be blessing everybody. Like Hashem, clean us up. Clean up on aisle seven. Anyway. So, continuing on with Mashiach's words here, he says, And their great ones play the tyrant over them. Mm. This is this is happening. A lot of tyranny, a lot of lording over, you know, is happening within our, our the Jewish, the collective Jewish people. There's a lot of lording over. None of us have time for that. We don't have a temple right now because we're all thinking that we're better than each other and no one's allowed to come to other people's synagogues and learn and no one's going to teach and all that kind of stuff. You know, like we're not allowing converts. We're not, you know, wanting to let you come to our shul. We're not going to let you use our resources. We're not going to teach you, you no know, Hebrew. We're not going to share any of our books and all that kind of stuff. Like that stuff right there is why we don't have a temple. Got to fix that and quit being tyrants and being like the nations. So it goes on to say, it shall not be this way among you, but whoever wants to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice that Mashiach ben Yosef, by the way, is called the suffering servant. And Mashiach ben David is called the ruling king. And Mashiach is Mashiach ben Yosef ben David. Because the two Mashiachs are one. And you need to know that the king is considered to be the greatest servant. Because he's doubly responsible for modeling the example of Torah to the nation. Ramban brings down so that his heart not become haughty over his brothers. This is a Parsha Shoftin drop coming at you. Uh, Devarim 1720. 
It says, here it is hinted in the Torah prohibition of arrogance because the Torah restrains the king from arrogance and haughtiness. If that's true for the king, how much more so is it true for us? We're kings and priests, right? But we're little kings and priests because the big king and priest is Mashiach. And we're reflections of him. We're the little lights. You know, he's the father of lights. He's where we get our living water from. If you think about that. So if he's restrained from being arrogant and haughty, what does that say about us? So, and then it goes on to say, and how much more so the others that would not be fitting for this, because for one who would be fitting for raising and aggrandizing, it warns him that his heart must be low and humble like all his lesser brothers, because arrogance is a character trait, which is a mida. Midot is the plural of mida. So these are character traits. So this is a character trait which is disgusting and abhorrent by Hashem. You want to see Hashem throw up? Go ahead and be haughty and arrogant. And then it goes on to say, even in a king, because to Hashem alone is the greatness and the highness, and to him alone is the praise, and only through him can a man boast, as the topic is explained by Shlomo HaMelech in Mishle, the abhorrence of Hashem is all who are haughty of heart, and it is written by Yermiyahu, but only through this should a man boast, knowing me. So our boasting in Hashem is that we get to know Hashem. And even that is saying that the only way we know Hashem is because Hashem allowed us to know Him. So if you really want to boast, that's what you should boast about. You should be, I mean, if you really want to have pride or whatever, if you need a place to put your pride, think about this for a second. That the illumination, the understanding, the wisdom you have is because Hashem allowed you to have that wisdom and that illumination. The gifts, the talents, the ability to study, the ability to comprehend, the time to do any of these things, and the awareness to do any of these things. Because you realize how many people are not in covenant with Hashem today? But yet we get to be one of those people? And how are we in covenant with Hashem? Oh yeah, that's right. He brought us here. So if you really want to be arrogant and prideful, be arrogant and prideful about that. Which means that if Hashem can do it with you, he can do it with other people. Which would mean your arrogance and your pride would actually go into, hey everybody, guess what? You have the same opportunity and the same privilege. So therefore, if you really want to convert to Judaism, I can help you. He helped me, I can help you. And furthermore, you need to know, it doesn't matter how, how far you think you are away from Hashem. It doesn't matter how holy or righteous or unholy or righteous you are. It doesn't matter. If Hashem could have saved me and brought me into covenant, then he can also do the same with anybody else. Think about how your story is. Think about your life story. Think about where you came from. Think about how you grew up. Hashem brought you out of that. Just think about that for a second. 
Now, apply that to other people because we don't know everybody's story. We only know what people tell us. What about the things that they don't tell us? That right there should just give us a stop. Which again, one of the six remembrances that we have to remember is Miriam. What did Miriam do? She didn't know the full story. And then she blasted Moshe. And what happened? She got Zaharada and got to stay outside the camp. And we didn't get to go anywhere for a week. We got to just hang out. We could have been moving forward to the promised land, but we had to stop because of that incident. And the Shem was like, all right, so remember what happened to Miriam. Okay, so anyway, we don't know the whole story, so therefore we can't even get into that. But if we focus on serving one another, though, and being humble, there's that. All right, so... That's our sevens, and uh, just thinking about the Shabbat, the Shemitah, and the Yovel. These are all about freedom, uh, restraining ourselves from our mundane work, and allowing Hashem to be creator and master of the universe. Because one of the things that happens is uh, slaves go free and debts are released uh, every seven years and every Yovel Jubilee year. You know, those those things you feel like you're owed or the people who are uh, working in servitude for you because they committed some kind of crime or they needed to pay off something, you know, that you don't get to keep them. You don't get to hang on to promissory notes of people like, hey, you owe me, blah, 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 blah. Well, if they don't pay you within the seven year cycle of the Shemitah, then uh, you got to let it go. Which is really trusting Hashem. If you bought land, by the way, which is a big thing in Parsha Behar, then that land goes back to its original owner in the Jubilee. So, you know, you'll get up to about 50 years and it's like, all right, give it back to so-and-so. Start this thing over again. So just, oh my goodness. If you could just think about all of this overall discussion that we've been having, we're looking at perpetual renewal, debts getting wiped out, land going back to original owners, slaves being set free. Like, let's all start over. Let's all get a redo. Let's all, you know, even the land itself gets a redo. Like, all right, here we go. And in the midst of this, Hashem is like, if you'll just trust me and what I'm commanding you, I'm going to make everything so legit. You're going to be, you're going to be set. You're going to be so secure. You know, you're not going to have to worry about lacking anything because if you follow what I say, redemption is sure. Which again, if we think about our simple faith in this, in our, in these last days, you know, with being one of the generations that are called the heels of Mashiach, I really pray Hashem is bringing Mashiach like within our lifetime. I mean, I just... Oh, that'd be so great. So in the meantime, what we're called to do is have simple faith and it's all going to be fine. Don't try to predict the times. Don't try to look at, okay, this is going to happen. Then Mashiach's going to come. Like looking at that as being distracted. The simple faith is our teshuva. It's what are we actually doing for one another? It's what are we doing in our communities? What are we doing at our jobs and our homes? You know, in no particular order. But I mean, obviously home is super important. So start there, but just really just over your whole entire existence, how are you operating a simple faith and bringing the final redemption? 
So with that being said, I want to close out with bringing the final redemption on Rabbi GQ. And I kind of uh, swerved over this real fast in the last episode. So I want to go more into this. And I want to connect it to something that Shaul talked about. Because remember, Shaul didn't come up with anything new. He just repeated a lot of stuff. Because why? He's a Pharisee. Pharisees repeat people and Pharisees sort stuff out. Okay. And as I like to say, oh, we can sort some stuff out. Believe it. Anyway, uh, so Rabbi GQ, Shlita, Rabbi Greenbaum, uh, from Parsha Behar, it says, Redemption comes to the 50th gate, yet even the most degraded goes free in the Jubilee year, in which the blast of the Sinai trumpet of freedom on the day of at one which is a day of atonement, atonement and at one are the same word, uh, signifies that all debts have been paid through the redemptive power of Bina, the 50th gate. This theme of freedom in our parsha is, particular, is uh, particularly relevant to us in the present season as we count the days of the Omer and the sevenfold count of the days and weeks leading up to the 50th day, the day of the new offering, season of giving of the Torah, which is freedom. You realize we're counting up to our freedom, right? Being free from bondages and uh, impurities of all types. That's why these days of counting the Omer are so tough because Hashem did an amazing overhaul back in Nissan. And now as we go through the rest of Nissan and ER in the beginning of Savan, it's just like, oh my gosh, like I just feel like there's so much and I'm like overwhelmed and I don't think I can make it. And it's supposed to feel like that because we're counting up to our freedom. It's like, so can we make it? It's like, well, if you suit up, you can. So Avengers assemble. Says at the very heart of the entire system of redemption set forth in the Torah through the festival cycle and through the Shabbat, the Shemitah and the Jubilee cycles uh, lies the Shabbat. So the core of all that is the Shabbat. The core of all the sevens that we count leading up to the 50 is the Shabbat, which says this is the essence of the Sinaic code. And again, I said Behar, we talk about redemption, we talk about salvation, Behukotai, we talk about mitzvot, and we talk about obedience, and that is the regenerated life. So Shaul said this verse over here in Galatians 5. Uh, Galatians 5, 1. For this Zeman Kerutenu, for this time of our freedom, Mashiach freed us, stand fast, which by the way, Zeman Kerutenu is literally codified in the Pesach Haggadah, in the Kiddush. Like just, just throwing that out. That uh, Zaman Kherutainu is code for Pesach. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, Mashiach freed us and stand fast, therefore, and not be again, and be not again bound to a yoke of slavery. What was the yoke of slavery that we talked about? Oh, we were in Egypt, the place of slavery and confinement, death, torture, being away from Hashem. We couldn't go out to serve Hashem because. 
Egypt was like, we own y'all. We rule over y'all. And Hashem was like, uh, sorry, it's time for their Shabbat. It's time for their Shemitah. And it's time for their Jubilee. They're not going to be doing any work and they're going to be with me. So you need to, you need to go ahead and handle your business and listen to what I say and do it. Egypt said, no, Hashem said, yes. And Hashem saying yes, caused Egypt to eventually say, okay, that's the thing. We need to be agreeing with Hashem because if we don't agree with Hashem, eventually we will be brought to agree with him, whether we like it or not. And it's better to just do things the easy way. But here's this thing in chapter four, verse 26 of the letter uh, to the Galatians. It says, but the Jerusalem above is a daughter of freedom, the mother of us all. Jerusalem is Sarah above, as you can read some translations. And, okay, so that's ridiculous. How in the world did Shaul get away with that? And there's no one talking about the Zohar, Tetzave 871. Come and behold, it is written, and you shall hallow the 50th year, and you shall proclaim... You treat the 50th year like you treat the Shabbat because remember the Shabbat is the day you shall hallow it. Wow. And also we're supposed to hallow the name of Hashem because it says our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Wow. So Hashem is a Jubilee is a Shabbat. All those things are related. Okay. They all need to get hallowed. So the 50th year and proclaim throughout the land proclaim liberty throughout the land proclaim freedom oh freedom vaikra 2510 parsha behar get you some the 50th year is bina from here freedom emerges to everybody because freedom emerges from it bina 50 Jubilee, the name of Hashem, the Torah that emerges from Bina is called freedom. Didn't I Mashiach talk about, you know, he who's the son sets free is free indeed, right? So there's that. Anyway, um, I just want to look at something real quick. I'm seeing something about bot or, uh, Ben Horin, Sons of Freedom. Let me see here. Get prep day on some searches for me. What we got? Um. Oh yeah, a Garrett Colossi one fourteen. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Talking about the Son. So rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So now, as we're talking about all this 50 and this freedom in the Torah, we need to understand that's Mashiach. And from here, it's pronounced liberty. And again, we're talking about freedom and being removed from a yoke of slavery. And the Torah is called 
Harut, which is the engraving, which is again connected to Behukotai because it gets down into the root word that means bound, statute, uh, engraving from the word Hukat and Hulk. And when you look at all this, when you bind yourself to a shem, when you become a living sacrifice, that is the true freedom. And you can either be bound or you can be bound. What do I mean by that? Because many people say, oh, I can't believe you're you're putting yourself under the law. You're being in bondage to the Torah and da, 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 da. It's like, well, if you're not in bondage to the Torah, you're in bondage to the world. So therefore, when the Shabbat comes around, you're not able to leave the world to keep the Shabbat because you feel like, oh, my gosh, I got to go to work. And my boss wants me to come in and da, 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 da. And your boss is not Hashem. But yet you can't serve Hashem as the true boss because you're under the dominion and you're bound to the world. So who's really in bondage? I'm going to go with I'd rather be bound to the law. I'd rather be in bondage to the Torah than to be in bondage to anything else because my true freedom comes from being bound to Hashem. And side note, Stav Soldat, Shlita decided to share this information like it was okay. He said, "You know, you know they they the way they move the menorah is they would wrap it up in this cloth and then they would bind it up to a pole and then they would carry it in the wilderness." And I'm like, "What is wrong with you, man? Did you just say the light of the world was bound up and put on a pole and carried through the wilderness?" What? The Mashiach crucified, okay? And we're carrying it around on a pole in the wilderness. That's how we transported the menorah. Son, you need to get some help. What is wrong with you? Why you got to talk like this? We were having a good time. And I can't believe you just said that. But anyway, that's how the menorah was. It was bound up to a pole and carried. That's how it was transported. But here's the thing. Many people have this idea. Let's keep the Messiah on the crucifix. And let's parade that around. Uh, well, you know, when the menorah was uh, set up, it, it was taken down off the pole and it kind of all, yeah, you know, raised into life and resurrection. It was uncovered. It was revealed just like the body of Mashiach. It was covered and it was uncovered and revealed. Remember the linen they wrapped him up in? Well, he took that off and he had on the, the original garments, the splendor of God's glory. And he walked around and, you know, there's that. So that, that picture of the Messiah being crucified, buried and resurrected is seen in the way that the menorah is taken down, wrapped up, bound up, put on a pole, travel to the next spot of the encampment, only to be unbound, taken off the pole uncovered and set up in the temple or the tabernacle just saying that's ridiculous to really look at that like i don't know what to say but anyway uh freedom that's what we're talking about being bound up in a shim so true freedom is bondage to a shim if i haven't made that clear so when it says that is for freedom that mashiach set us free remember hashem said let my people go that they may come and worship me. And 
the freedom that we experienced from Egypt was the ability to go ahead and go to Mount Sinai and worship Hashem. That's what Hashem is seeing our freedom as. So there's that. And it goes on to say that uh, the freedom engraved on the tablets, Herut and Harut are in Shemot 32.16 because in 32.16 of Shemot, it says that there's uh, engravings on the tablets, which can also be read as freedom on the tablets. So do not pronounce it as Harut engraving, but as Herut freedom, for this is the Torah that is called freedom. And isn't it interesting that our, our brains, our minds are called domes, you know, like uh, rappers want to say straight off the dome, coming to your home, getting in the zone, call me King Kong, bumping, swerving, switching lanes, rotting, going insane from the brain, doing my, my thing. Well, it's not really, really my thing, but this is how I, how, how hang. Because I be living, living for the king. Okay, anyway, that's a little example of a freestyle. But that's called off the top of the dome, like just stream of consciousness from your brain. So free dome, if you really want to free your mind, like Morpheus told Neo, that's the Torah. The Torah is called free dome. It's a freed mind walking around. Anyway. Straight off the dome, coming in your home. Ibr, 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 straight in the zone. Okay, anyway, I kind of like that rhyme. That was kind of nice. I'm going to have to play that back. Yo, DJ, play that back real quick. Let's drop a beat. <laughs> Call me King Kong bumping. <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry, y'all. Trying to double duty here. I'm supposed to be giving a insights, and now I'm over here trying to rap. Composing a song on the fly right now. I'm I'm doing that. That I like that. That's great. I just need a beat now. Okay. Anyway, and I also need a studio and a microphone. And if anybody's listening to that, you know, hook hook a brother up. Okay. Anyway, Pro Tools or laptop or something like that. Run the sound equipment on. You know, hey, I'm gonna swerve. I just need to do it right. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, so I need a beat. I need a microphone. I need a studio. Need to record this thing. Need to be able to put it out on social media, and just let everybody get them some. Anyway, goals of Shomer Man. <laughs> After I have hollow pancakes and gummy bears. Now, I'm way over an hour of recording, so obviously I'm getting delirious. So I apologize because I know this happens, but. In my defense, I'm doing way better than I did during Parshat Ketoshim because it was just at an hour that I got delirious. I'm an hour and 30 minutes and I am now delirious. Okay, anyway. But freedom, freeing your mind is the Torah. And it says, because whatever this supernal day, which is Bina, brings forth is freedom. And it is freedom for all. That day is supernal freedom because there is upper freedom and lower freedom, meaning upper hay, which is Bina, and the lower hay, which is Malkut. The Yodin hay and the Vavin hay, there are two hays. One is considered a higher hay and a lower hay. And we're looking at Bina and Malkut. Those are also called the two, she the two Shekinas and the two Memtets. 
Just throwing that out there. There's two Memtets. One of them is called Enoch. The other one is the Angel of Hashem. Okay. All right. So uh, it says that the lower hay Malkut. Okay. The upper hay is Bina. Lower hay Malkut. Upper freedom. Lower freedom. So think about this. When Mashiach was talking about setting us free, he's talking about the freedom that comes from the higher hay. The upper freedom. And again, when they handed that scroll to him in the synagogue and he quotes this passage about, I come to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor. Yeah, that Isaiah passage. I mean, this is what he's talking about. Okay, so freedom. And it says that this day is supernal freedom. All that, the upper hay, lower hay. And it says upper freedom and lower freedom, which are the Shabbatical year, the Shemitah. The Shemitah is upper and lower freedom, the two Hays of Hashem. And then it says, this is Malkut. The Shemitah year is Malkut. The Jubilee is Bina. So the lower freedom is the Shemitah year. The upper freedom is the Yovel, the Jubilee year. Bina and Malkut, the two Hays. And it says, and they are as one, meaning that they clothe each other. Then Bina is called upper freedom and Malkut is called lower freedom. And again, let's go ahead and reread Shaul's writing. Now that we got that down, it says, but the Jerusalem above is called the daughter of freedom. The mother of us all. Then going on, it says, but you, brothers of Mashiach, are the sons of the promise like Yitzhak. So the mother gives birth to the son. Sarah gives birth to Yitzhak. Okay, so that's what we're looking at here. And then going on to say uh, in chapter 5, verse 13 of the writing to the Galatians. For brothers in Mashiach, you were called for Zaman Kerutenu. Only use the Cherut, the freedom, for, for only use not the Cherut for a pretext for the flesh, but through Ahava, minister to one another as servants. So the freedom that we're giving is actually for us. The freedom that we have been given is actually not for us to indulge in the pleasures of the flesh. It's to indulge in the pleasure of serving one another. Remember, the greatest among you is a servant, right? It says, for the entire Torah has been summed up in one word. I love how he says it's one word, but it's You shall love your neighbors, you love yourself. That's literally one word. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Vayikra 1918. Going on to the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 17. Now I don't name you, now our Lord is Haruach. Hashem is Ruach. And where Haruach Hashem is, there is freedom. So there's all that. And here's that verse that I was talking about, Mashiach in the uh, synagogue reading this passage about the Jubilee. Luke 4, 14 through 19. 
And in the Gevurat Haruach HaKodesh, in the power of the Spirit, Rebbe Melech Mashiach returned to the Galil. And a report went out through out all the surrounding countryside about him. And Rebbe Melech HaMashiach was saying Shirim in their shuls. He was giving teachings, giving lectures in the shuls. And eliciting a peled, peled, peledike response, which is a reaction of marbling. So as he was giving his sure, people were like they were at Mount Sinai. They were like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Oh my word, this is so crazy right now. Oh my God, I want to throw everything. That's what Drosh's with Mashiach were like. Like standing at Mount Sinai. And it says, so everybody was doing it. Everybody was like losing their minds. Mashiach was teaching. And they were like, what is going on? Nobody teaches like this. Kind of sounds like Sar Shalom. <laughs> I want to shout out Shimon uh, from Sar Shalom Tosa. Dude, come on, man. Same thing with you. I mean, what are you doing up there, bro? Like, what's wrong with you, man? Anyway. Um... If you haven't subscribed to Sarshalom Tulsa, Sarshalom Synagogue Tulsa, okay, you, you need to do that on Facebook and on YouTube. Shimon ain't playing around, okay? All right, so it says that um, he came to Nazareth, to the Chatel of his Gudal, and he entered according to his mean hog on Shabbat into the shul and was given an aliyah as the Baal Kore, which is after the Hagbah, which he was presented with the Megillat Sefer Yeshayahu and having unrolled the Megillah. So the most prestigious of the reading, besides the first aliyah of the Kohen, is the person who gets to read the Maftir to go into the Haftarah. So the person who reads the Haftar is considered to be a great honor to give the that reading to a sage. So just want to point out there is a whole lot going on that says Mashiach has a mean hog to go to shul on Shabbat. It's customary for him to do that. So if he did that, how much more should we do that? We need to be going to shul on Shabbat. So if we really want to be like Mashiach, I'm just saying that's right there in Luke four. Uh, and also he's reading from the scroll of Yeshayahu, which means he's reading Hebrew. So we should probably work on reading Hebrew. Just saying. Mashiach did it. Why do we think we don't need to? I don't know. It says he was presented with the Megillah except for Yeshayahu. And having unrolled the Megillah, he found the Devar where it had been written. Ruach Adonai Hashem, Alayaan, Mashach Adonai Oti Levaser, Anavim Shelachani Likro Lish Vuyim Deror, and to bind or and to the blind Peach or Pechach Koak Veshalak Retzudzim Chaf Shim. What in the world did all that just say? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he appointed me to preach the Besorat Hageula, the good news, the gospel to the poor people who are likened to dead people. Cause in uh halakhic terms, if you're poor, you're considered to be dead. So there's that. Uh, it says he has sent me to preach to the captives, 
uh, release, and then to the to the blind, the recovery of sight, and to the oppressed, to be set free, to preach the year of Hashem's favor, which again that's called the Jubilee year. Again, this is Luke four fourteen through nineteen, and this is Parsha Behar, uh, basically talking about Bina, freedom, the upper hay, the Torah, talking about Sarah, talking about Mashiach. And so, uh, this is the first of our two Torah portions this week that you need to focus on the aspects of redemption. And after that, then we can look at to the minutia of the mitzvot, the commandments, the, the actual observances of Torah. It's all built off of you know, the fact that Hashem delivered you, as it says over here in Romanos, the writing to the Romans, uh, chapter 3, verses 30 and 31. I'm scrolling through my notes, and for some reason, I can't see it. There it is. Since God is a chad, he will set right the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the Torah through faithfulness? May it never be. On the contrary, we uphold the Torah. There are people who are uncircumcised and there are people who are circumcised. But either way, we're all supposed to be doing the commandments. And people who are not circumcised, maybe it's because they didn't know they needed to be. Or maybe it's because they're yet to be. Or who knows what that is. Personally, I wouldn't really want to be concerned about that. I wouldn't really want to be like, all right, drop your drawers. Let's see if you're circumcised. I ain't got time for that. But however, you know you need to work that out with Hashem, so you take care of that. Let's just focus on that, right? But anyway, no matter where you are, even if you were circumcised medically as a child, you know, you still have to go through Hatafat Dambrit, you know? And again, this is all going to happen through... Hashem delivering us and bringing us into covenant with him. And so our upholding of the Torah is after we've been planted firmly on the rock, after we've been brought into Mashiach. And so that's why Mashiach was like, just go make Talmudim of the nations. Everything else is going to work out from there. If you can get people to really fear and love Hashem and be like, nah, save Nishma, we'll do whatever you say. And we don't know what that means at the moment, but yet we're just going to do it. People like that, those are the ones who are going to secede. And people like that are the true Israel, by the way. Because there's a lot of a lot of people who say that they're Jewish, and yet their Hebrew roots are Messianic, and they want to make up their own thing, and they want to do their own stuff. And it's just like, okay, who's really going to listen to the sages? And who's really going to live this thing out and walk humbly before God? Those are the kind of people we're looking for, and that's the kind of people that will bring the final redemption. So, suit up and Avengers assemble, and let's bring about redemption in the world, and may Hashem's salvation go forth like a blazing torch, and may this whole world be illuminated by the fiery light of the Torah of Mashiach. Baruch Abah B'Shem Adonai, Ki Lishuateka Kiviti Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Please send Mashiach.